are listening to Relationship Shouldn't Hurt, a podcast brought to you by Central Bedfordshire Council. During this series, you'll be able to hear us talk all things domestic abuse and raise awareness of the support available to those affected. Hi, my name is Jane. I'm from Central Bedfordshire Council and I'm part of the domestic abuse team as one of the domestic abuse specialist officers. This episode is going to concentrate on 16 days of action and talk about the fact that domestic abuse is everybody's business. What we hope to aim to achieve by this podcast is to raise further awareness of domestic abuse and the signs of unhealthy relationships. Today, I'm joined by Jenny, who's from Victim Support, Lisa, who's from Luton Borough Council, and Martin, who's from Talk for Men. Martin, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do in the domestic abuse arena? Yeah, so my role at the minute is I am a facilitator of the Talk for M or Talk for Men program, which is a pandemic kind of male victims of domestic abuse service. The idea is that we're a group that provides support for men who've experienced domestic abuse and making sure that it's done in a safe and a therapeutic environment. We aim to support local male victims living so in our Bedford Borough area, Central Bedfordshire or Luton. And the idea of it is that it's developed from a programme that was in existence as part of the Early Childhood Partnership. And it's been developed and adapted to to look at that element of male victims and the relationship they've had. Excellent. Thank you very much. A much needed service. Jenny, can you introduce yourself, please, and tell us a little bit about your part in 16 Days of Action and what that actually is and how it impacts our residents in central Bedfordshire and Bedfordshire? Yes, so I'm Jenny and I work for Victim Support in Bedfordshire. I work alongside the specialist service for high-risk victims of domestic abuse, but we also now support those through all levels of domestic abuse in one way or another. And so, yes, so every year there is a campaign called the 16 Days of Action to End Gender Violence. It's an international campaign, and the, the idea of it is that it challenges abuse and violence, especially that against women and girls. So it runs every year from the 25th of November to the 10th of December. So the 25th of November is the international day for the elimination of violence against women and girls. And the 10th of December is the hu- is Human Rights Day. So I guess that's why it's sort of pitched across those 16 days. Started all the way back in 1991 by the Women's Global Leadership Institute. And it's been running ever since with countries across the world, all taking part, doing lots of different stuff. Every year there's a theme, and this year's theme is from awareness to accountability. And hopefully some people will know that there's been a new Domestic Abuse Act introduced this year, back in April. So it seemed like quite a nice link, if you like, to the theme from awareness to accountability. Our local theme, if you like, is about domestic abuse is everybody's business. That new act actually asks local authorities to get a little bit more involved and gives them new powers and new responsibilities as well. So it's all coming together this year. Uh, and we hope to really raise awareness of gender violence, violence against women and girls, and of course domestic abuse, which is another form of violence against women and girls. And we know that it can affect anybody, man, woman, child. So yeah, we hope that everybody will get involved and should be a good one this year. Excellent. Thank you very much for that, Jenny. Lisa, can you introduce yourselves to us, please? Certainly. Hello, everybody. My name is Lisa Baker. And I am the strategic manager for domestic abuse across Luton. I've only been post a couple of months, so I'm quite new to role. But I am a trauma-based psychotherapist and have worked extensively with domestic abuse victims, both adults and children. So I have a lot of experience in that area. My role is to oversee and work together with Bedford Borough and Central Bedfordshire to ensure that we have good domestic abuse services for victims and perpetrators of domestic abuse across the whole of the county. So if we have a little think about our friends and our family and our colleagues, what should we be looking out for and how would we respond to those signs of an unhealthy relationship? Well, thanks, Jane. I think one of the most important things is to point out that a lot of people think domestic abuse is just physical abuse when it really isn't. Physical abuse is part of it, but we have extensive different areas. We have things like bullying, controlling and threatening behaviour, such things as 
are constantly being accused of you having an affair, that you know you're mm-hmm. cheating on them, and also very often the abuse is turned against the victim. So you know, if you didn't push my buttons, I wouldn't do this, and it's your fault because you did this, and that's why I was aggressive. So it's very much victim blaming. It's about being criticised all the time and put down, and your self-esteem like really sort of like takes a hit when you're in a domestic abuse situation. You may be told what to wear, how to dress, and how to act. There can be threats, threats of violence, threats of, you know, of even murder, which we know is a, a prolific thing in this country. So there can be threats of violence against you so that you're forever fearful and walking on eggshells. A lot of survivors have uh, spoken about before. So there's another perspective is it's not always physical violence. It could be aggression as in throwing things, smashing objects, smashing your phone, punching a wall. These are all types of abuse and inappropriate behaviour in relationships. And the but fact that you're constantly being yelled at and put down and spoke to in a derogatory manner constantly. So that's one aspect of it. I'll go on to financial abuse where your money, you might be given an allowance and your money is controlled. Your money might go be given to the perpetrator and they may actually cut you off financially. Also, other things like cutting you off from family and friends. They may keep tabs on you wherever you go. So, you know, you might have an app on the phone or might be constantly phoning you and asking you to video where you are to prove where you are. And you would have to ask if you see family and friends. And in normal relationships, that's not something that happens. You know, you would just say, I'm going to see my mum or I'm going to see my friend. In domestic abuse, you may have to ask permission. And another one is like embarrassing you in front of your friends and family. So you sometimes don't want to be in social situations because you're being put down all the time and made to feel inadequate. So those are some of the things that are not the physical, but there are also it does lead to physical and physical violence is part of domestic abuse, but it's not the all. You can have a lot of that other stuff and not ever have physical because the fear will need, mean that, they, that you do not need to actually have anyone being physical towards you. Thank you so much for that, Lisa. That's, um, you know, really sort of terrifying there that you've spoken not only about the physical signs and, and, you know, historically it was domestic violence. We heard that term, but now we use domestic abuse because we are experiencing those invisible signs as well and I think if we're looking at friends family and colleagues we need to be aware of those patterns that are building where there's the potential for the invisible abuse. Jenny is there anything you'd like to add to that at all um, in your experience? Well I suppose for me I think Lisa's sort of given us a really good rundown a really good description some of the things to look out for in your friends and family and I suppose so like the big overarching things are that sort of feeling of isolation, I suppose, being isolated from your usual support no- network, which could be friends, family, could be work. Of course, for many people going to work is their safe place if they're in an unhealthy or abusive relationship. And of course, as we all know, we're all working from home today. We're all speaking on this podcast from home. If we're stuck at home with our with our perpetrator, with the person who's controlling us, that person who is jealous, controlling, intimidating, threatening, or perfectly charming to everybody else, but not actually perfectly charming to us. Everybody else might think that they are absolutely wonderful and how lucky we are to have that person in our lives. But actually, it's what happens. It's often said behind closed doors, but it is what's ha- what happens behind closed doors. Domestic abuse, unhealthy control, that happens. It doesn't happen all at once. As Lisa said, it's not just physical. It's not just violence. It generally starts off with controlling behaviours. Some of those things that Lisa mentioned, the monitoring, the questioning, the threatening, the isolating, it starts off with those things. And it can, it sort of, it can, before you realise it, you're standing up to your neck in control, if you like. Mm-hmm. And at that stage, you've been living with that for however long you've been living with it for, months, years. It makes you feel like your self-esteem is really taking a battering. Your self-confidence is taking a battering. You feel that you might not be believed. You don't know who to speak to. You are fearful of the consequences if you can find somebody to reach out to help. It's just it's such a difficult time and it is so prevalent. It is so common. You can't tell from just looking at somebody that they are a victim of unhealthy control or domestic abuse. We know that it happens to men, to women. We know that it happens to children as well. You know, they obviously, they soak up that experience. Children are like little sponges, aren't they? Mum and dad might be arguing. Mum and dad might be really going through a difficult relationship. And they might think that because that happens when the children are in bed, that the children aren't aware of it. But we know that it has an effect on any child who is living in that household. 
I mean, it's it's harmful and it's incredibly common. The stats that have been around for as long as I've been doing this job, which is about eight years now, are that one in four women and one in six men experience domestic abuse during their lifetime. That's a hell of a lot of people. And it also means that we all know somebody who is experiencing domestic abuse, even if we don't know that we know them, Mm -hmm. if you see what I mean. I think that's really relevant, Jenny. And, and, you know, children, you mentioned about adults and their safe space being at work. And for children, it might be that their safe space is at school. So, you know, we'd say to anybody listening to this, if you've got any doubts about adults and then you look at children, you've got children that are really eager to get into school and added with other bits and pieces that go together with your concerns. That might be a reason because that's their safe space. Lisa, did you want to expand at all on what we've just been talking about? Yes, please. I just wanted to say that very often people say, why don't these women just leave or why don't these men just leave? And I think that's a really important point to put across because this this behaviour doesn't happen straight away. They don't meet them the first day and then they're physically violent to or abusive. This doesn't happen. They are very, very good at manipulation. They will be the perfect type of person at the beginning of the relationship. And then for the rest of the relationship, the survivor is desperately trying to get back to the relationship they had in the beginning. So I just want to point out that this doesn't happen overnight. This is a gradual process. And like Jenny said, these people are very, very good at making other people think that they are great people, they're good fun, and they're really good members of the community. And what happens behind closed doors is so vaguely different to that so it's like it's like wearing a mask then isn't it you know you've got the mask going out to face the world and the mask comes off behind closed doors and that's a different story and you know as you both said it it makes the victim and survivors accounts and seeking out for help sometimes difficult to understand if if that's how a perpetrator displays themselves yeah for me no I, i was just kind of going back to it and looking at it and the term we start to use around if you look at the initial stages of the word unhealthy relationship, mm. it's there. The, the un- but it's about how how do people know that that's unhealthy? How do people know that in that unhealthy place? So uh, uh, and it's a strange one. We, we'll talk about it as in so programs. We won't talk about gut feelings and things like that. But sometimes people just know that it's not right or it doesn't feel right. But where do they then get that support that's going to back them up to to to, to have that feeling to allow to have that feeling? But I also think, and we'll talk about it in a sense, maybe from a male perspective, when if we go down sometimes our old fashioned terms around being uh, henpecked or under the thumb, or even uh, you, you may have people, oh, well, we know who wears the trousers in that relationship. Quite throwaway comments, maybe easily led comments that people may historically use. But does that then start to look at what well, is that unhealthy, actually, that like, I don't have choice? I, I, I don't have opinion. I don't have anything like that. But I think what we tend to see and across, I guess, maybe a lot of these kind of relationship is actually, is there someone there to identify with that victim that that is unhealthy? Is there someone there to point out, do you know what? That, that didn't feel right. As an outsider, as a friend, as a, as a family member, as a, mm-hmm. as someone else who's not in the thick of it because when you're in the thick of it how do you know it's unhealthy jenny you picked up the point around children and how they pick up everything as well so if we historically have that person who's maybe been in a a family environment where there may have been parental conflict where there may have been unhealthy relationships how do they know differently and sometimes that's the element there isn't it that maybe actually and i know we're probably going to talk about well how do we do that how do we reach a bigger audience to educate and form and give them the knowledge um but i think right at the beginning it is that so i'm not identifying actually do we know that it's unhealthy do other people know that it's unhealthy mm. and and therefore i guess the question is well we talked about friends family or colleagues is how do you then approach that because that's a skill in itself and no doubt we'll cover that as we go on but yeah i think it's that initial what is unhealthy what's not and, and there's a there's a, there's a thing with that as well. I, I always think it's nice to look at. Definitely. And, and it, as you say, it's an escalation there, Martin. But Martin, leading on from what you're actually saying there, it becomes a new normal, doesn't it? You, you know, you start a relationship, it's quite an organic. And as you go on, that abuse becomes the new normal and it kind of erodes you away. And because it happens really gradually, you probably don't realise that it's your new normal that isn't particularly healthy. 
Yeah, I think one of the things is really interesting. I guess what we we try and work out and I guess try to maybe work with maybe victims or general friends and family as well. The system we might use is something called notice check share, where you know you notice you can check in, and then actually where am I now sharing this information? And I guess it's a simplistic safeguard in term in a way, isn't it? We notice we check we share, but actually that that's maybe an everyday way of looking at it. Do I notice? Am I checking in? And that could be colleagues, that could be friends, that could be anyone. Yeah. And if so, where do I now share that? I guess that's what we're doing. I mean, we, we, as I say, we one in one in four women, one in six men. We're going to we're going to come across someone, and actually, do we notice it? Yeah. Do we see it? Do we see the everyday stuff? And therefore, do we check in? Do, do we actually say what we see? Not are you okay or how are you doing? But do we check what we see? But yeah, I, I do think that's important. It's really good, Martin, actually. I was going to, I was going to jump in there and just sort of say one of the things that we talk about with professionals as well. So colleagues, acquaint, uh, you know, people involved in providing support is the, that importance of talking to somebody, that importance of noticing and the idea of routine inquiry. You know, it's one of the, one of the things you can do for free is just ask how somebody is, ask, you know, what their day is like, ask if everything is okay and sort of follow up on that. We really encourage professionals to make sure that they ask about unhealthy relationships, domestic abuse, whatever we want to call it, ask people about that. Give them permission to talk to you about what is happening, how they are feeling. And that kind of, I think that sits really nicely along that sort of notice, check and share. You know, we said right at the beginning of the podcast, domestic abuse is everybody's business and it is everybody's business. It affects us all. It costs the country an absolute fortune to to tackle. And there is this generational sort of cycle of abuse. And as you as, as you alluded to, Martin, if children see that kind of unhealthy behaviours in their in their home, they grow up with those. How do they know that that is not a healthy relationship? How do they know that that is not the way to treat somebody? Or, or in fact, how do they know that that's not how they should be treated themselves as they grow up? So I think for me, it, it's, it, it really is, you know, early intervention and prevention are words that are banded about a lot, but it really is about early intervention and prevention. It's getting them young and, and teaching them the, you know, those really important values of respect and honesty and trust and communication. Um, you know, so it, that just can't be undervalued, I suppose, the efforts that are made in schools and with the services that provide support to, to children and mums and dads. You know, it can't, that can't be undervalued. Jenny, you've taken us really nicely into healthy relationships and what a healthy relationship can look like. Did you want to carry on with that theme for us, Jenny? I mean, obviously, everybody ha- probably has their own ideas of what a healthy relationship is. And I mentioned a few of them and they kind of they translate and you can can apply them in different ways. But essentially, it's things like being honest, trusting each other, allowing for some independence as well. So you're not completely reliant on that other person. Give and take being supportive of each other's efforts and, you know, each other's thoughts and feelings, respecting each other. Lisa mentioned accusations of, of cheating and jealous and controlling behaviours. There, there is no place for jealousy, for instance, in a healthy relationship. So we want honesty, we want trust, we want, and these sound a bit trite, but this is what a healthy relationship is. It's about being able to talk about what your, your problems are and what concerns you, maybe what you're sensitive about, maybe, you know, get out some of your baggage and talk about that and not have that used against you at a later date or thrown back in your face in an argument. It's about people sharing values so that you're not at odds with each other, constantly arguing about, no, 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 we don't want these people to do this, or I don't want my mum to do this, or I don't want my dad to do that, or I don't want to go to your family for Christmas and whatever it is. It's about sort of shared values, bringing up children together if you've got children. It's being able to talk to each other without the fear of any unpleasant or negative consequences. And it's about your partner or your family member, because the kind of relationship we talk about for domestic abuse is not just intimate partners, not just husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, etc., or girlfriend, girlfriend, boyfriend, boyfriend. It is family members as well. So it's about them being reliable as well and trustworthy. It's all that good stuff. It's all the good stuff I think that we all know on one level. We've all seen it on one level. Hopefully we've had examples in our in our life when we were growing up. 
hopefully we had sort of protective factors. We had caregivers that cared and that made us feel safe and that made us feel worth it and valued. If that is missing, then obviously, you know, that, that, that's where some real issues can start to, to grow from a, from a, an early age. But yeah, I mean, I suppose that's it really. There's probably six or seven basic signs of a healthy relationship. And I think those are the ones that we were talking about. Equality, trust, honesty, mutual respect, communication. There's independence as well. I do think it's about valuing your independence as well. Shouldn't be completely reliable, reliant on one person in that relationship. That can make, that can put an unbearable pressure onto a relationship as well. So a real sense of nurturing and being a partnership. I have the privilege last week of going out and facing an audience of young people. So I did a presentation on healthy relationships for Central Bedfordshire's Youth Parliament. And we did an exercise on what a healthy relationship looks like. And I'm really proud to say that 14 to 18 year olds who had asked to learn about domestic abuse as part of their youth parliament, their three themes were trust, integrity and communication. So I think, you know, those values in those young people hopefully will will play out in their relationships and their future relationships. Martin, you gave us some really good pointers earlier around unhealthy relationships and uh, domestic abuse. Is there anything you want to add from a healthy relationship point of view? Let's kind of echo on uh, a little bit of what Jenny mentioned there. I think a lot of it is we talk about sometimes power imbalances when mm. we maybe look into kind of parental conflict and domestic abuse, domestic violence. And actually, uh, the, the term that we, when we talk about a healthy relationship, now whether that be within partners or within a family dynamic, again, Jen, you've mentioned that as well, is it's, I, I always, we always kind of fall into the pattern. We talk about ego states and being on the I'm okay, you're okay. So mm-hmm. being in an even keel that there's no kind of hierarchy. There's, there's no parent to child unbalance. It's I'm okay, you're okay. And we're both on the same balance and we both have opinion we both have values and morals that might be different but respected and and that's something we, we will always look at and i think it, it really then comes down to making sure that as i said we talk about respect and um, for each other's independence which i think is true and making sure that then that people can make the right decisions and make their own decisions but without fear without fear of retaliation without fear of maybe some retribution that it's that they have the the the, the, uh, the capacity to do so and want to do so without that possibly hanging over them and i think that's really important when we talk about the health relationships it, it's fantastic with young people saying about that do you know what communication and trust mm-hmm. integrity that that's what we want to see and we want that to continue and but we want to also know that you know what you you can make a choice you can have a choice mm-hmm. and it won't be taken away from you your, your liberty choice, will not be it? taken away. Yeah, your liberty will be taken away. It's having a choice. You said it before, Martin. It's really important to know that you have a choice. You can choose. And if you feel you can't choose, then it's about questioning why you feel you can't choose. You know, are you scared of something happening? Should you, you know, should you make a choice that your partner or your family member doesn't agree with? So, you know, for me, quite a lot of it is around, as you say, Martin, about choice, having that choice to choose for yourself what happens in your relationship being authentic being an individual and taking the options you want to take your choices your options but supported by the other persons in the relationship with you and that's another thing that came out last week with the youth parliament was about being individuals and not being in each other's pockets so another healthy message from those young people so we we spoke earlier about making domestic abuse everybody's business how do we go about that and what do we do in order to make sure that we are highlighting that everybody should be made aware of domestic abuse, Martin? So, again, I think, you, again, you mentioned we're in a fortunate, fortunate position, I guess, from the what can we do. We, we, we can live and breathe a lot of this every day. We, we, we're, we're trained in a way and the, the, the people we work with are trained and the staff we manage and what we are trained. And so on one sense, we're ahead of the game, which is great. I think what we need to start looking at and what I think we need to be doing is going, you know, how do we take this to the broader masses? We started to look at actually working with businesses, working with you know, your, your bigger, larger organisations and actually going in and delivering awareness sessions, knowledge sessions within those businesses, within those large kind of groups of employers to go, do you know what, this is part of your business. Again, an employer that's uh, let's got a thousand 
members of staff. If they do the math, what number they're going to be looking at? 40, 50, 60 people who are in those situations. So that's really important. So so I guess it's that. It's taking it to a different audience is something that we feel is really, really important. And that's, and that's a starting point for that. I think the, you've mentioned as well, one of the things, again, that's been starting to grow within the ECP as well is the work with young people. So again, a lot of, and this is kind of combining so with our services that we deliver, but we also have a an ONEX service which does sexual kind of violence. But what they've started to do as well, they've started now working within schools within Bedford around that. What is a healthy relationship? What does that look like and everything else? So again, what we're trying to do is we're trying to build it from the ground up. So these young people are are armed with the information of that's not right or that that's unhealthy or that's there. So again, what we're trying to do is draw out and it, it shouldn't we shouldn't be living and working in a knee jerk reaction kind of world. We do because we work in it and we're in the we're in the trenches. But what what we need to do is go. Do you know what? This is for everyone. This is you. You should be aware of it. We don't want you to read about it in the paper. We don't want you to read about what's happened there. We want you to know what's going on. And it's not a bad thing. I think the, the 16 days of action is a brilliant thing as well because what we're trying to do is we're trying to say to everyone this is going on. Let let's publicise this. Let's let it get out there. Let people know locally that this is happening. And I think what what we start to do and I. I guess I, I go on from maybe from 20 years ago. I, I think it was a very much a taboo subject. Whereas now we're in a, 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 a crest of a way where, do you know what, people are aware. People talk. Let's, so let's, do you know what, let's have the healthy talks about it. Let's do something about it. Let's be proactive. And yeah, and just let's kind of kind of get the ball rolling. So it's, it does become everyone's business. It doesn't mean everyone has to act upon it because that's individuals and how safe they feel when they may see something mm. hear something but if we go back to that first conversation we said about the unhealthy relationship if we're all aware of it and that friend says something to you or that 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 you see something happening within that your your family group or your friendship group and you go no do you know what that no I, I've, tra- I've been trained on that i did this at work or i did this or i've i've had this information given to me however it's given to me I might be able to support that person. And if you think about it, if that one person can support another one person, are they not doing a fantastic job? Do you know what I mean? It's one less mm-hmm. person. So, yeah, so it, yeah, I think that's what it's about for me. And I think it's really important that we start to do that. Obviously, I've mentioned, sorry, ECP. I should mention to everyone that it's a Early Childhood Partnership. So that's that we're based in Bedford. Obviously, we, we cover the old kind of tri boroughs, um, and I'm sure, no doubt, I'll be talking about more about what we do. But yeah, I, I think that's what it's about. It is everyone's business, and we can bang on about it. But I think it's how we, how we, I think, be clever, be clever, think outside the box in a way to, to kind of get more people aware of it. And and I think it's a fantastic just way of doing stuff. Thank you very much, Martin. Lisa, did you want to expand on that? Yes, I just wanted to actually echo some of the things Martin was saying. We have very similar schemes going on in Luton as well, working with business and working in education. And I do think that's where a lot of the issues lie, is education, because a lot of young people maybe haven't witnessed a healthy relationship with their parents. So they're not aware of what it is. And it's something that's not regularly taught in schools, which I really believe it should be. And I think also it's about society very often we allow things to go by like sexist jokes and men putting women down in front of groups and things like that when really we as a community and as as human beings should be more aware of what we say and do to each other if we see someone's being uncomfortable by the way someone is speaking about them or putting them down then perhaps we should actually stand up and say that we should stop fitting into stereotypes about male and women roles in the home and things like that because women don't have to do all the housework and things like that anymore because they work full time so you know there needs to be a a gender balance as well and I think what we do as a society if we want to change things we need to change that in the way we advertise things like adverts on tv are very very um, sort of like aimed at women standing in the kitchen and the man sitting down and things like that so it's about our society and how we really need to change our society and the way in which we treat women and children and you know and men because men actually receive the same sort of abuse from other women so absolutely Uh, I think you're right Lisa but as you say you need to change society but but that starts doesn't it with us changing ourselves sort of challenging ourselves challenging our behaviors and making sure that we're not kind of you know we're not 
we're what, feeding not, into it, feeding into yeah, it, not yeah. continuing lazy behaviours. And, and it's like Martin, you were going on about hen pecked and, you know, under the thumb and she wears the trousers and stuff like that. You know, we, we all kind of rely on those, those ideas, don't we? Those little themes that we've all grown up with. And it's, and it's about challenging ourselves to stop relying on those as an excuse or as a, a reason or as a an, you know as a, an explanation because they're not are they that, that, that doesn't excuse I mean there is we say this all the time in victim support there is no excuse for abuse and there isn't an excuse it doesn't matter what somebody has told you what somebody has said to you if they are abusing you if they are harming you if you're in a toxic relationship and you are the victim of that so you are the one being harmed there is no excuse for that behavior you do not deserve it. It isn't your fault. The fault lies with the perpetrator, the person who is doing the harming. Always. And it doesn't matter what that person has told you. They're liars. You know, in, in this in the simplest format, they're liars. They're lying to get what they want. They're lying to control you. If you are the victim, they're lying to control you. Yeah. Uh, so what, what we've seen, and I suppose... I want to say it's new, but it's not. So having male victims... It seems when you, when you talk about it, people people are still shocked. And the one thing we we we're still doing it, and we're trying to do a lot more of, is is educating kind of professional bodies on that point around. Please listen to males. Please listen mm-hmm. to male victims. The, the the stories are there. The, when when they, if and again we've done a lot of work uh, locally, which has been amazing with our local police forces. And the, the guys have been fantastic in the response to how they've stepped up. And it, it's been a few years because we've been doing it for a few years and we're working and we're going to constantly work with it. But it is just that thing around if, if, if there is a, a report, if there is someone who turns up at that police station or if there is someone who turns up at a family support centre, a children's centre, whatever it may be, just listen. Take, take, them at, take them at face value. Take it what they say is true and, and work with that. And... Um, and we have seen a change. And that, that's what I can go back to when I kind of first started doing this type of work. Uh, you know, like we set up the group about four years ago. We, we, there's been a shift, a huge shift. And I guess with that, then we're starting to notice that actually it is more and more people's business and people are taking mm. more notice. People are noticing and that's brilliant and people are listening. And I think that's, for any victim, that's maybe one of the biggest things. Someone will listen to me. Someone will take the time out and not condescend me, not question what's going on, not belittle whether you're a male or a female victim. Just but mm. someone will listen to me, and I think we we've seen a big shift in that, and that's really important, especially with the last eighteen months around kind of the increase we've seen in domestic violence and over the COVID period and all the stuff that's going on as well. So yeah, so it's it's, it's good. It, it's getting there. It's working. I think there's still a lot more that we can do. And we'll be doing this forever, never, never, because it's yeah. historically it's not going to go away. We're just putting it in the spotlight, aren't we? We're just pushing it out there. We're making it something that we can talk about, something that we can push into the, the, the day-to-day agenda of people as well, make people aware of it. And, that, and it's going to be um, something that, as I said, from time to time, we, we're going to get it right. It may take more longer and longer, but it will get there. Mm. And that's the great thing that we're starting to see. I think one of the really important things that we need to do is that we need to empower the victims to not and, and not not just the victims but the victims as well to challenge the perpetrators challenge them safely but to challenge the perpetrators behaviors nobody deserves abuse there is no excuse for it so we really need to encourage our young people to to know their worth to stand up for themselves to not accept unhealthy behaviors in their relationships to you know to to turn their back on that to say no you know, so it's about empowering victims and challenging perpetrators for me. And really, to go back to something you said there, Martin, about, you know, it can happen to anybody. It's everybody's business. It literally can happen to anybody. Man, woman, child, you know, it, anybody can be affected. And I know that people listening to this won't believe me, but it really can happen to anybody. It sneaks up on you. I read in a book somewhere that coercive control is like mold. It grows like mold and it's really difficult to get rid of once it has grown in the relationship because you just don't know how to tackle it. You don't know how to step outside it. But there is so much support. Martin has been talking about ECP, the Early Childhood Partnership. They do great work. 
And actually across Bedfordshire, there are so many services out there that just have that non-judgmental. They will listen to you. They will hear you. We have got so much support out there. There is support for everybody, no matter what their choices are, no matter what they want to do next. And actually, Martin alluded to this as well. Not everybody wants to leave their relationship. Not everybody can leave their relationship. But you can still you can still make that relationship safer. There is support to make that relationship safer so that it's safer for you, safer for the victim, safer for their children. And there is help for perpetrators as well, of course. There's uh, the Bridge Project, which is another early childhood partnership kind of thing. But also there's a, there's a national phone line. If you don't want to sort of go local, then there's a national phone line called Respect, where you can talk to somebody if you're worried about your behaviours and the behaviours that you are perpetrating. You know, if you are uh, uh, causing harm to your your nearest and dearest, then you can get support. You know, there really is. doesn't matter what stage you're at, what age you're at, what your abilities, your background, your circumstances, your language. doesn't matter. There is support for you somewhere in Bedfordshire. We're so fortunate to have so many great services. Absolutely. And, you know, we all advocate for those services and, and signpost people very regularly. And I think one of the other things is a bit of a misconception is around how to get support for domestic abuse. I think historically people believe that they could only go to the police which may cause a real fracture in a relationship. But that isn't the only route to get support within a domestic abuse situation. As we've heard from Jenny and Martin, we've heard about national groups. Um, At the end, we'll give you some more information about where you can go. And it's about accessing support safely. So if you're looking online that you're not leaving a footprint, etc. But we will come on to that at the end of our podcast today. I'd like to think we've all used the term victim, survivor and perpetrator. So I just wanted to break those down a little bit and just for our listeners, talk about what those terms mean. Jenny, did you want to start us off with that victim, survivor, perpetrator? Hmm. Well, I suppose, I mean, I think I mentioned them a little while ago, but basically perpetrator. When we talk about the perpetrator, we talk about the person who is causing the harm, if you like, the person who is behaving with extreme jealousy in a controlling manner, the one who is making that other party involved, if you like, and that other party is the victim or the survivor. It it depends which stage you're at, I suppose, really. If it's happening to you right now, then maybe you actually people don't like to think of themselves as victims. And to be fair, I completely get that. If you are going through domestic abuse at the moment and you are you are a survivor, you have survived this relationship up until this point if you manage to end that relationship then you will have survived that relationship as it ended it doesn't necessarily mean that the abuse will end of course because the perpetrator is the only person who could stop behaving in a controlling fashion in an abusive fashion they are the only person who can stop their behavior if you like so there is post-separation abuse and we all know about that and it's it's going back to what lisa said i suppose it's not an easy thing to leave a relationship professionals ask that question many people ask that question in their heads all the time why don't they just leave whoever the they is whether it's a man or a woman but yes so the perpetrator is the one acting in a harmful way is the perpetrator of the abuse and the victim is the person to whom that abuse is being targeted or directed at so that's it really i suppose yeah and and we talk about the just leave and the end of the relationship and as professionals we're really acutely aware that that actually heightens the risk for victims and survivors the end of the relationship can be seen by family and friends as thank goodness this is now over but actually Mm. we have to be very careful that that for around three to four weeks I believe the stats say to us that that's a heightened risk so we're aware of that Mm. how do we challenge people that harm Martin would you like to lead on that one and so get back to we talk about sometimes I say historically you okay we, we have those if you want the, I was going to say the perpetrators who have what we class as the narcissistic behaviours, who are regularly doing it. But there is occasionally when you, you do come across the relationships where they may not recognise their behaviour as predatorial or perpetorial. Yeah, they may not recognise that actually my behaviour is creating a victim. My behaviour is of such. Now, that, that's a number of reasons we've talked about environmental circumstances, historic circumstances, familiar circumstances where, where they, they may have grew up in. But that, that does happen. Now, it doesn't mean it's right. Now, let's be honest. That, that's, let's 
first and foremost, it doesn't mean it's right that they do it. But we, we can take a little bit of a step with that, that sometimes that's what we need to work with. And like you say, I think the, the idea of, for a perpetrator and for a victim, maybe our survivor, is that discovery is the first load to recovery, isn't it? That's what we're looking at. We're looking at that momentum and how we shift that as well. And that, that really is important. I think when, obviously, then we are looking at challenge, Challenging perpetrators' behaviour is difficult, and, and, and what I've seen in my history of working in the world that I do work, and you, you kind of have to have a, a confident practitioner, a confident professional who can question those behaviours. Now, it doesn't mean it shouldn't happen. We should question the behaviours. But again, it's a skill set. It's something that you really need to be aware of how to do it. Because again, we, we talk about, we talked about when there's a, maybe the relationship is I was going to maybe the survivor does walk away from that relationship and how delicate that can be and fragile that can be with that three to four weeks. But we also know if we take a relationship where they're in the household that disruption can actually possibly lead to escalation. Now in that disruption of the question of the the behaviours of that perpetrator, actually how how does that work then? Does does the does the perpetrator ramp those behaviours up? Do they, do they start to be more manipulative and coercive? So, again, it is delicate. It, it, I, I always say around something we always offer and we always have done is done a little bit of training and knowledge-based work around work, working with um, perpetrators. You, you need to be a, a, a trained person, a trained, skillful person to do that. So it's something that people just really need to be aware of. I, I was going to say one, I think, it really important message and I appreciate we're possibly getting to the end of, of this podcast. But one really important message to leave everybody with is, I mean, there are, as Martin has said, there are ways to challenge somebody's behaviour in a relationship. And depending upon what level you're at, you know, there are ways of doing that safely. One thing, though, that people should never do is threaten to leave without seeking some advice around doing that safely. That is, you know, that's like a top tip, if you like. Don't threaten to leave. Don't lose your temper. Don't start throwing things in the face of somebody who is a who is a controller, who has shown that they don't respect, they don't trust, and they're prepared to treat you badly. They're prepared to harm you, you know, to get what they want. So, you know, it, it's it's an incredibly risky time in a relationship when somebody decides to separate. Uh, I mentioned post-separation abuse, and you've mentioned sort of like three or four weeks of of kind of contact if you like obviously you end a relationship it's a difficult time it can be a sensitive time people are allowed to call you and say did you mean it you know let's get back together let's give it another try they're allowed to do that that's okay but if they keep doing that if they pursue you beyond a couple of you know two three four weeks whatever it is then you actually we might be think we might be talking about something like something called stalking taking place which is very much unwanted obsessive fixated behavior and that's another that's another key risk area if you like in domestic abuse if somebody is not prepared to take no for an answer whatever whatever situation whether that's sexual abuse whether that's emotional abuse financial abuse physical abuse or whether you're trying to separate you know you're trying to separate or end the relationship they won't take no for an answer then that really is a very clear indicator that they are a controlling personality that what you are dealing with is in fact not just an unhealthy relationship but perhaps it's an abusive relationship and and conceivably that there there could well be harm perpetrated against you you know after the relationship is over so those kind of things really need to be um, I would encourage anybody to get advice if they think that their relationship is unhealthy if anything that we've talked about today has kind of rang a bell or made them think "Mm, hold on a second then there's loads of support out there. And I know we're going to talk about where there are some resources in a little bit. But there's there's only one website in Bedfordshire that you want to, you know, if you've only got time to look at one website in Bedfordshire, then I would go to the Bedfordshire Domestic Abuse Partnership website, which is www.bedsdv.org.uk. And it's got links to all the services we've mentioned today. It's got lo- it's got a lovely link to Martin's ECP. And it's got links to all the other, you know, the Lutonal Women's Centre, the Women's Aid, the Stepping Stones, Bedford Women's Centre, all the various services of, of which there are many, inclu- and national services as well, and lots of information for whether you're professional, whether you're an interested family member or a friend of somebody, lots of information about the types, the forms of domestic abuse, hints and tips and early warning signs and all that kind of stuff. So if you can only find time to go to one website, then I would encourage everybody to go to the Bedfordshire Domestic Abuse Partnership website. 
Thank you very much for that, Jenny. And as I mentioned earlier, that is a website where you can go online and not leave a footprint trace. So if you feel that somebody is is looking into your phone, your computer and keeping an eye on your footprint, you can do that safely. And just so we can wrap up and for our listeners today, I think we need to talk about some safety planning advice as a, as a kind of a close for our session. Lisa, would you like to lead us in, in just talking about your experiences around safety planning, please? Absolutely. And I know we've all mentioned the three or four weeks. And the reason we mention the three or four weeks is because that's when it's more likely for somebody to be killed. And with the high rates of domestic abuse murders in this country, I think we really need to think about safely leaving this relationship. Murder is the um, ultimate end to domestic abuse and murder-suicide also are things that happen because it is the victim has decided to leave the perpetrator so what I would say is the most important thing is to have a really good plan if you know you're in that situation you might want to think about how you'd respond in certain situations and options that might be available for you it's good to have an emergency telephone number whether it's a local women's aid refuge it's uh, another organization or you know even the police you know, to have a number that you can call in an emergency. Also, if you have children, it's a very good thing to teach your children to call 999 if anything's happening and if they feel unsafe. Are there any neighbours that you can trust that you could leave maybe perhaps an overnight bag with, you know, that um, if you have to flee quickly with things for yourself and the children, emergency thing, you know, and even things like an escape plan or a rescue plan. Are there safer rooms in your house that you can hide into or you can flee to so that you can get help? If you feel that your, bar- your partner's about to like attack you, to go to stay at a lower rise part of the house and you know try to keep the part the other side of the door so the door you you can get out the door if you need to and to be prepared to leave the house in an emergency and these are things that sound like quite extreme but these are things that are really important to keep yourself safe and what I would also say is before all this happens like Jenny says speak to somebody that works in the field you don't have to go to the police if you don't feel that to do that you can go to another agency and they will help you with this and plan this and I my advice would be do not just leave make sure that you have a plan in place and you have somewhere to go that's not a mutual friend because very often perpetrators are able to influence the friends and family that you're the problem and not them and they will immediately phone the perpetrator and things like that and try to get you back together so it's really really being aware of the safe places to go and making a plan not just leaving or not just threatening to leave because that can put you at more risk. That's great, Lisa. That's really useful. And I think whilst we're talking about safety planning, it's also worth mentioning that Women's Aid have got a really useful website with advice about making a safety plan. And I know it's the Women's Aid website, but it, you know, it works whoever you are, man, woman, child, you know, gives you lots of hints and tips, gives you sort of ideas for what to put in that emergency bag that Lisa was talking about. So go online and have a look if it's safe to do so. There's some really great apps out there that you can download to your mobile phone, the Bright Sky app. That's free to download and it provides advice and information for anyone experiencing domestic abuse. You've got the Holly Guard app, again, another mobile app that is free to download and that acts as a sort of a personal safety plan. It allows you to share your location, record evidence, make emergency contact and loads more stuff. It's also worth mentioning Claire's Law, which is basically the domestic violence disclosure scheme. It allows you or a concerned person to ask the police about information they hold on an individual with a history of abusive or violent behaviour. And it actually allows the police to tell somebody about their, perhaps their partners or uh, family members' history of violence. Uh, and it gives you the right to ask. So the, the right to ask and, and the right to be told. And you can find information about Claire's Law's requests on police websites and you can make an online request. So it's really worth mentioning that if you're not certain about a partner, a new partner, maybe then make an online request and find out if there is any history that you need to be worried about that could that could cause you harm. And it would be very remiss of me to not mention the victim support website, which has also got a load of information for anybody going through unhealthy relationships or, in fact, affected by any kind of crime. 
And we also have uh, a space called My Support Space, which has got lots of interactive guides that you can do online at any time of the day or night. And then if you need to call anybody any time of the day or night, there are loads of phone numbers out there. One of the, 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 the most high profile, I suppose, is the National Domestic Abuse Helpline. That's a 24-7 phone line, 0808-2000-247. And Victim Support also have a support line, which again is free and 24-7. And that's 0808-1689-111. But again, all of this information and more is on one of my favourite websites, which is the Bedfordshire Domestic Abuse Partnership website. And I know I've said it before, but I'll say it again. It's www.bedsdv.org.uk. The only ones uh, I would want to add, obviously, if we want to discuss, obviously, for male victims as well, you can access everything that Jenny's just mentioned there. All fantastic websites, all fantastic information out there. I, again, will obviously talk about the top 4M link, which is you can just ECP Bedford. You can Google that. And obviously, nationally, we have Mankind Initiative. Again, fantastic information on there. It's a direct phone number. You can speak to someone directly as well. So, as I said, I think everything we've probably covered, there's, there's something out there for everyone. And I think that's what we're trying to say as well. There is always support out there. No matter who you are, where you are, there is always something that you can access. And there is always somebody at the end of a phone who is willing to help, who's willing to listen and will believe you and begin your journey to a healthier place. Thank you very much, everybody, for joining me today. It's been a privilege to listen to you and to hear your advice and guidance. And I'm sure that there will be people out there that will act upon what you've mentioned today. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this podcast. There's a lot of experience that has spoken to you from many different angles of domestic abuse today. Please don't think that you are on your own. You are not. You have heard that anybody can be a victim and survivor of domestic abuse. And it can ha- it's everybody's business and it can happen to anyone at any time. There is a lot of support out there for you. You do not have to feel alone. You do not have to go to the police if you don't want to, if you're not ready for that part of your journey as yet. There are plenty of support groups out there that we've discussed today. Please access support if you need help. Thank you for listening to Relationship Shouldn't Hurt. If you or someone you know has been affected by domestic abuse or the issues raised in this podcast, you can contact the 24-hour National Domestic Abuse Helpline on 0808-2000-247. You can also find lots of information about domestic abuse on our website, www.bedsdv.org.uk. And if you're in the Bedfordshire area, you can find local support services on the Get Help page of this website. If you are in immediate danger, please call the police on 999.